Sibling rivalries are a theme that have stood the test of time. From Cain and Abel to Jim and John Harbaugh, sibling rivalries have always been present. Welcome to the Encroachment Podcast, where two brothers discuss their thoughts on what is going on in the world of college football. Stay tuned to find out if these two brothers can find something to agree on. And welcome back to the Encroachment Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Binkley, and I am here with... Jonah Binkley. And week four of college football is now in the books. And let's talk about Tennessee Volunteers taking on the Florida Gators. Tennessee came into this game ranked 11th in the country, Florida being ranked 20. Last week, Florida came off their wins against South Florida in a hard-fought game. Coming into this game, Cedric Tillman was ruled out for Tennessee. And you know Cedric Tillman was their leading receiver last season, and many scouts have him as a first-round draft pick coming up in 2023. Well, Cedric Tillman was listed out for the game, but luckily Tennessee's receiver stepped up big in his absence. Brew McCoy had five receptions, 102 yards, one touchdown, including a 70-yard pass from Hooker earlier in the game. Ramel Keaton had three receptions, 69 yards, including his 43-yard catch off that diving, beautiful, beautiful diving, stretching-out catch to put his team into uh, the red zone. Then you have then you have Jalen Hyatt, too, who also showed up big, having five receptions for 58 yards. Jalen Hyatt been around the Tennessee program for a couple of years, a familiar face over Pruitt, who's really stepped it up this season and contributing 50 yards to the game putting Tennessee into a great position to win this game. Also, before the game, Florida's middle linebacker, Ventrell Miller, was thought to be out. However, he ended up playing the game, and he played really well, actually becoming a force of nature for the Florida Gators. At one point in the game, he forced a fumble on Princeton Fant that Florida ended up recovering. Thankfully for Tennessee, Florida didn't end up scoring on the next drive, but he still forced a turnover nonetheless, and he finished the game with six tackles, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery, and just played all around good for the Florida Gators, and really fought his hardest to try to win this game for his football team. And and speaking of Tennessee and picking up the slack, you know, Cedric Tillman out for the game, but Hendon Hooker came out of nowhere and arguably had one of the best performances in Tennessee football history, or at least in terms of passing. Hendon Hooker finished the game 22 for 28. He had a 78.6 completion percentage, 349 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. So, so far in the season, Hendon Hooker still has yet to throw in an interception. And he also picked it up big time in the run game, having 111 yards and a touchdown totaling for 461 yards and having three touchdowns, which earned him Walter Camp National Player of the Week. So Hendon Hooker played lights out this game and really showed why many people like him as a Heisman frontrunner at this point. Hendon Hooker's playing balls out and really killing it efficiency-wise for Tennessee. I mean, no interceptions for the season. He has eight touchdowns for the year. Hendon Hooker is just going off, and the fact that he's not turning the ball over is one of the reasons why Tennessee's been doing so well this year. So how do you feel about Hendon Hooker's performance against the Florida Gators this past Saturday? Uh, I thought Hendon Hooker's uh, performance is actually really impressive. 
especially because I think it was earlier on, maybe uh, end of the first quarter or beginning of second quarter, it looked like he got slammed on his uh, right arm. So, you know, that made everyone kind of a little worried, and I think, you know, he was kind of swinging his arm a little, kind of trying to loosen it back up after hurting it. So, I mean, that was a little concerning, but only throwing six incompletions. Uh, I thought that was really impressive when quarterbacks do that, especially in college, because I think that makes them look really good for uh, scouts and stuff in the NFL, people who are looking, trying to quarterback. I think it just looks really impressive when you don't just have a whole bunch of incompletions or don't have a lot of interceptions, too. That's one thing I really like about Hendon Hooker is uh, the uh, lack of interceptions. I think that looks cool. I think it looks really good for him in trying to get drafted uh, is making his uh, draft prospect go up, you know, and stuff because I think with him not throwing many interceptions, it kind of gives him that Aaron Rodgers kind of vibe, you know, not trying to turn over the ball a lot, but he can sling it really far, too. I like that, that he can sling it really far and still not throwing interceptions even when it can be more of a 50-50 ball sometimes. And I thought his rushing was really impressive, too. I mean, averaging 8.6 yards per carry and rushing for 112 yards, I mean, that's just really impressive. He had more rushing yards than uh, Jabari Smalls and uh, uh, Jalen Wright. Of course, I mean, they split snaps and stuff. They they both run a lot in the game. But, I mean, it's just impressive. I thought Hendon Hooker really showed that he wanted to do Tennessee right and win the game because I think he knows. I'm sure Josh Heupel has talked about how big Tennessee versus Florida is. Yeah, and I like that you mentioned about Hendon Hooker possibly being injured at one point. That it. Things like that are the reason why college football is so great. Coming and willing his team to win, whether or not he's hurt, well, I guess we'll see more as the following days move on to see if he actually is hurt and sustained an injury, but played lights out for the game. You can't ask for a bigger performance than what Hendon Hooker gave to the Volunteers this past Saturday, really showing how much he really wants to perform well this season and in hopes of possibly getting his team into college football playoffs which is pretty unheard of in the past 15 years for the Tennessee Volunteers and all that they've had to go through so Hendon Hooker stepped it up big time and you mentioned Jabari Small as well coming into this game he was questionable as well but he showed up to the game and got 90 yards and a touchdown and performed well and even at one point he caught a pass for a touchdown and you know just really strong performance from Small tonight and needed well especially since a really great front seven that Florida has. Solid performance from Tennessee offensively, 575 total yards. Tennessee was just playing lights out, and they've wanted this win. Before this game even took place, Florida's had a five-game winning streak against Tennessee, and prior to that, they had like an 11-game win streak. So this win is hands down the biggest win of Josh Heupel's career, and I know we were mentioning it a couple weeks ago about how this the pit game was arguably the biggest career, but there is no win that meant more to Josh Eipel than this, especially considering what the volunteer fan base has grown accustomed to with the struggles of Florida and never being able to get over the hump. Even when Tennessee's had a better team, Florida's been able to come out there and win games, but not this year, and Tennessee really turned it around. And this was a must-win for Josh Heupel. Maybe the media didn't portray it as much. You know, college game day coming there, everyone's got the hype around Tennessee. But Tennessee has been trying to get over this hump for a long time. And by Josh Heupel winning against a 
hated rival like the Florida Gators, it's really putting into perspective of these Tennessee fans that maybe this isn't a dud like we've had in years past with Jeremy Pruitt or Derek Dooley or Butch Jones, vice versa. Maybe Tennessee has a chance to be competitive now, and they're really starting to prove themselves in the college football landscape. And what are your thoughts on the Tennessee Volunteers and how they've played, performed this year, and how do you think that they'll continue to be for the rest of the season? Well, uh, one of my favorite things about Tennessee, and I know I, I talked about this uh, last week, I'm pretty sure, is uh, that their winning games are supposed to. Because, I mean, I don't know how many times in college football you see good football teams that are supposed to win games, but they struggle more than they should have or gave up maybe uh, an extra touchdown or two that they shouldn't have. I am pretty impressed with Tennessee so far. This Florida game, even though we won, I was a little disappointed at the end. I thought our offense did really good, but our defense was a little disappointed that Florida got so close to coming back, especially the fact that our special teams let an onside kick happen. Because, I mean, letting that happen, you got to know how important that is because all they need is a touchdown, and it's a guaranteed win as long as it's a touchdown. So I was a little disappointed in that, but I don't think it's the biggest thing either. I think this Florida team... I mean, they do. I mean, they are with a brand new coach, so it does make sense that they got some stuff they still need to work on. Because I thought Florida actually looked a lot better this game than most of their other games, especially with Anthony Richardson finally doing better than he has. Because he, I, in my opinion, has had some of the worst games this year, yeah, except for except for this game against Tennessee. I thought it was a little impressive and got to give a little bit of props because Anthony Richardson really did do good in a game that he needed to do good. And I thought I was a little impressed by that but in Tennessee all around I think their offense is looking phenomenal I think you know even with even when we don't have all of our players I mean our offense is still doing good and that's all that matters I think our defense is still doing pretty good too but I just need to work on the little stuff a little bit yeah and I I do want to get into the ending of the game here soon but yeah you're right with Anthony Richardson really picked it up big time this game uh, coming into this game, he didn't he didn't have a single touchdown pass, and he's thrown a, a couple of interceptions to start off the year as well. But Anthony Richardson came in, threw 453 yards, two touchdowns, interception, and that 453 yards is also the second most yards of any quarterback in college football. So Anthony Richardson stepped it up big time, completion wise, not the greatest. He only had a 54.5% completion percentage, but you could tell that Anthony Richardson was playing with all his heart this past Saturday and really gave it his all for his team and picked it up, too, with 62 yards rushing and two touchdowns. But credit Tennessee, too, for being able to limit Anthony Richardson on his runs. Whether he was banged up before this game started or not, that's what the rumors were. Tennessee still held him to only 62 yards, which is a big ask for Tennessee considering their past struggles with rushing quarterbacks like Ole Miss last year with Matt Corral, where he had a field day. So Tennessee stepping it up defensively and stopping the run, I think was a big catalyst for the reason why the Volunteers won this past Saturday. But Richardson gave it his all, and he fought there to the end, and credit to Anthony Richardson. Not only, I mean, his completion percentage may not be the greatest, but if you watch highlights from the game, he was pretty accurate for the most part for Florida, and really had some zip on the ball. You can tell why people were so high on him 
to start off the year considering how much skill this player actually has. And I think as the season goes by, and maybe if Anthony Richardson gets more healthy, we could be talking about a really good quarterback even after struggling to start the year. So Anthony Richardson turning it around great. Florida, I although this, this loss has to hurt the Florida Gators an awful lot, especially considering how much they hate Tennessee, but if I was a Florida fan... I would be very proud of my team right now because this is a hard-fought game that they nearly won against the Volunteers when they shouldn't have even been this close to begin with. Now, the score says 38-33, to but anyone that watches that game knew that Tennessee had it pretty exclusively in the third quarter onward. Tennessee had was in full control of the game up until, up until towards the end of the fourth quarter. But Florida, you know, fighting back and almost coming away with the win there at the end, really shows that they have faith in their coach and they're going to keep fighting. And I think Florida's going to end up becoming a good team under Billy Napier. And I would have to say that Florida might be be the best or if not one of the best two lost teams in the country right now. So if I was a Florida fan, be happy with your team's resilience and willingness to fight and take pride in it as the year goes forward because there's going to be a good matchup later on against Florida State. You know, Florida State hasn't lost a game yet. Florida's got a chance to bounce back at the end of the year and try to get a win over another rival in Florida State. And, you know, other games coming up, I could see Florida putting up a good fight against Georgia here soon. So, Florida Gators, be proud of your team. Although you didn't get the victory, this was a great step in the right direction under first-year head coach Billy Napier. So, great for Florida. And speaking of Tennessee, you were talking about how well they were doing all offensively. Well, Tennessee has been doing quite insane on offense this season. Tennessee averages 365 yards passing a game, which is second in all of college football. They also have 193 rushing yards, so they do run the ball. They do run the ball, too, and they're 35th in the country of that, setting them up for the number one offense in all of college football. Yes, you heard it here. The number one offense in college football, averaging 559 per game. Pretty insane, to say the least, especially considering that 2020 year where Tennessee struggled to score three touchdowns pretty much the whole season under Pruitt. Big change in direction for these volunteers. And their defense has really stepped it up this year, too, only averaging 97.8 rushing yards per game, which puts them square at 24th in the country. So Tennessee's defense been picking it up a lot this year, but the defensive back play is going to have to get better. See, during this game, Tennessee did end up getting the interception to close out the game, but Tennessee's corners pretty much exclusively all night just let Anthony Richardson march down the field and just do whatever he wanted at will. So Tennessee secondary is going to need to make some improvements going forward as the games start getting tougher. Tennessee's got a tough stretch here soon. They got a bye week this Saturday, but then they're turning around and playing at Death Valley against LSU. Then they're going to play the number two team in the nation, Alabama. And Tennessee's going to have to pick it up quick in the secondary to try to hold Bryce Young at bay at the very least. But Tennessee is really doing good and heading in the right direction. And we were talking about towards the end of the game. And I'm not going to lie. I actually fell asleep for a little bit in the fourth quarter. So I only saw the last portion of the game. Like I fell asleep maybe around like the the 12 minute mark or something like that in the fourth quarter. But then I woke up to Florida throwing the interception. I was like, whoa, what did I miss? This ended up becoming a closer game than I thought. 
And thank God I didn't have to go through all that stress that a lot of other people probably had to go through because that game seemed like it's not the best kind of game for your blood pressure. And I, after re- watching the replays and stuff, Florida was really trying to win this game. You know, they kicked that the um, they scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter, and they go for a two point conversion when they don't even have to, showing that Billy Napier's coming down here not for an overtime. Billy Napier's coming here to win the game, and they go for that two point conversion. They fail it, and they go to kick an onside kick. Tennessee recovers it, but then Florida ends up coming back later on scoring again and then having to go do a two-point conversion failing it for a second time but to the surprise of everyone Florida ends up getting the onside kick marching it down the field like no problem Anthony Richardson sets up a few couple passes to get it past the 50-yard line and then you think Florida's in really good position to win but thankfully Tennessee's defensive pass rush came up big and pressured Anthony Richardson into throwing an interception, albeit Anthony Richardson was being hit while he was thrown. But Tennessee ended up closing it out. But how worried were you there towards the end of the game when Tennessee started seemingly giving Florida chances to stay into the football game? Well, I kind of stopped paying attention because, you know, I woke you up one of the times and I was like, it seems like we won. Uh, I'm pretty sure I was like, yeah, yeah, we won, basically. We only had like five minutes left. But then I was going to go get some of the pizza that we got. Just, you know, just not really worried about it. I was kind of happy. I was like, oh, yeah, Tennessee definitely won this. But then when I looked back at the TV a few minutes later, it was getting a little worrying because I see that they got the onside kick. I'm like, I don't know what I missed, but it seems like they... They might. I mean, they have a chance to win right here. I mean, all it takes is one one great throw and one great catch because they were not too far from the end zone, and that would have been it. That would have been game. They only needed a touchdown. Only need six points to to beat Tennessee right there. Didn't even need the kick. So I was a little worried. I started getting pretty worried, but I was having faith in Tennessee. And, uh, yeah, they they held Anthony Richardson in the moments where it was needed. And, uh... I don't know. I mean, I'm just happy that we won, really. But I was getting uh, pretty worried there for a minute. Still, like I said earlier, a little disappointed in Tennessee for letting that happen. But as long as we won, I feel like that's all that Tennessee fans care about. Yeah, and I think as Tennessee fans, Tennessee fans should be happy ultimately. Not be nitpicky that they didn't win the game by more points, but just be happy with the victory overall because... As someone that has monitored this Tennessee football program for the past 15 years, I would say that more often than not, Tennessee loses these games in these situations. I know they got lucky against Georgia in 2015-16, whenever that was, when Jawan Jennings caught the big pass, but more often than not, Tennessee loses these games that they're supposed to win there at the end. Seen it time and time again. Whether it's having too many men on the field against LSU, or North Carolina spiking the ball with no time left, going in the overtime losing Tennessee knows how to mess up a football game a lot of the time so pulling it off at the win although although it is scary Florida coming back great for Tennessee stopping it and Tennessee fan base should be happy in the direction that these volunteers are going in because this is a great win over a pretty good Florida Gators team who I think is going to be trouble in years coming forward especially if they're able to keep it up with recruiting and it, it it's just a phenomenal game, to say the least. But next week, Tennessee's got a bye. 
But the week after Tennessee's bye week, Tennessee's playing against LSU. And I think if Tennessee, if they want to beat LSU in Death Valley, I think their biggest key to winning that game is stopping Jaden Daniels. So Jaden Daniels was quarterback at Arizona State last year. And about a couple of years ago, he was a dark horse Heisman contender, doing really well for the Sun Devils, but ultimately decided to leave. And he's been doing decently well for LSU. I know last week he had about 100 yards rushing for the day. And like we mentioned earlier, Tennessee doesn't always fare well against quarterbacks that can run. So if Tennessee can spy Jaden Daniels and keep him inside the pocket, I think Tennessee's got a really good chance of beating LSU coming up in a couple of weeks. And what do you think about Tennessee's trip to Death Valley and taking on LSU under first-year head coach Brian Kelly? I'm not really uh, too worried. I think Tennessee, I think this is one of those games that they should be expected uh, to win with how good they're doing. But with how close this Florida game is, I could see it being very close, though. I don't know if it'll be as close as this Tennessee versus Florida game, but I think it's going to be a little bit... I don't know. I could see it be like 21 to... Like 35 around there. I could see it maybe being two touchdown game. I have a feeling that Tennessee is going to have a few plays on offense where they they just lob it up because Hidden Hooker likes doing that. He'll throw for a few short passes and then just all of a sudden one big one that he'll throw all the way down the field and it can usually go for a touchdown. So I have a feeling that Hidden's just going to do that for some reason against LSU. I think LSU, if they want a chance of winning this game, they're going to have to keep Tennessee at bay on offense, which is going to be easier said than done. That's why I think that if LSU can get a run, good running going on between Jaden Daniels and their other running backs, if they can end up picking it up running the ball, then I think they got a good shot at at least keeping Tennessee from scoring more points than they need to. Just keep the ball away from Tennessee as much as you can. That's what I would be doing if I was Brian Kelly. I'd be practicing all week trying to drain the clock as much as possible because this Tennessee offense is potent, and they're pretty unstoppable at this point. Like the statistics I read earlier, I mean, Tennessee is the number one offense in the country for a reason, and LSU's going to have to do a good job of slowing that down, which is going to be hard to do, especially when Tennessee doesn't turn the ball over. I mean, Hendon Hooker has no interceptions for the year, so LSU, if there's any team that I think could get Hendon Hooker to throw his first interception, it would be LSU with just how routinely good their defensive backcourt is. No matter who's the coach or what's going on, LSU just produces defensive back talent like no tomorrow. And I think if LSU's defensive backs can step it up, if you have a good running offense and good secondary to cover on defense – then I think LSU's got a chance of at least staying in this game with Tennessee. But I have a hard time believing that LSU's going to be able to stop them, just to be honest. I mean, I could see this being a close game like Florida, like you were just saying, but it's going to be hard to slow down this Tennessee offense, and I don't know if LSU's got the offense to keep up with them. LSU's really going to have to make sure that they limit their penalties and play pretty flawlessly to get this Tennessee win because right now I would say that Tennessee I would assume that Tennessee at least wins by 10 points in this game if not more if Tennessee starts out the game early they're not going to be able to stay in a shootout game with Tennessee if they get in the hole early they're going to be in the hole for pretty much the remainder of the game if I was a betting man and that's not what LSU wants 
if LSU could just come into the game and get a big turnover, like, and how much could that really change the momentum? Because I think it would change the momentum immensely, considering how ten- how confident Tennessee is that they're not going to turn the ball over. Say Tennessee receives the ball to start off the game, and Hendon Hooker starts off on his first drive throwing an interception. Could you imagine how excited the LSU would be and how loud Death Valley would be? And that's another factor coming in this game, too. Many people argue that Death Valley is the hardest place to play in college football. One of the loudest. you got one of the most rowdiest fan bases in college football. I mean, it's going to be a crazy place. And I think if LSU can get that spark going quick, if they can keep Tennessee out of the end zone in the first quarter, score quick, and really have some big plays like an interception, then I think the crowd will start getting into it more. They'll believe in it, and I think it'll be hard for Tennessee to operate going forward. So what's your thoughts on LSU's stadium becoming a factor in the game, and how do you think that LSU is going to keep Tennessee at bay? I I don't know. I maybe scratch what I said about like the score earlier because I could see LSU's really good with their defensive backs. I could see them trying to eliminate those random plays that Hendon Hooker has where he just throws it deep like I was talking about. Uh, So maybe I actually should have gave LSU a little bit more credit there because I could see him doing something like that. And when it comes to the stadium playing a factor, I could see that. I like LSU fans a lot because they're really passionate and they get loud and it seems like all the students there have fun. I could see this being a really interesting game. And with the fans being loud... I could see it being a little, uh, throwing Tennessee off a little bit because this would be like the first time this season that they really played a, a huge school with a big stadium and a really loud fan base. Yeah, I see. I think the atmosphere is definitely going to play a factor, and LSU is quite the step up from Pitt, which would be Tennessee's toughest opponent from an away standpoint. So Tennessee's got a lot on their plate coming against LSU, but I think ultimately Tennessee gets the job done. And if they do, and if they win solidly and show that they're still a very capable, high-scoring team, then Tennessee might have college game day. Let's see if I can predict it again. Tennessee might have college game day return to Knoxville the week after when Tennessee takes on Alabama, assuming that Alabama can hold on against Arkansas. And I'm sure Arkansas is trying to avenge their loss that they had against Texas A&M. You know, Arkansas, even before Texas A&M, they struggled against Missouri State. And Texas A&M ultimately broke through and got them this week. And it's going to be interesting to see how Arkansas performs against the Crimson Tide coming up here soon. And speaking of Texas A&M and Arkansas, you know, Texas A&M wins 23-21. to And I would have to say that Jimbo Fisher is waving a sigh of relief knowing that he got this job done. Arkansas being the number 10 ranked team is just what Jimbo Fisher needed to get his feet rolling again. You know, he had a great win against Miami last week, but Miami also turned around and got blown out by MTSU. So who knows how great Miami really is. But Texas A&M got back-to-back ranked wins. And what do you think about Jimbo Fisher starting to get the ball rolling for Texas A&M? And how do you think he'll do against a team like Alabama later on in the season? Well, I mean, good for him starting to get the ball rolling. But I could see uh, Texas A&M playing Alabama as being another really good game. I always like when they play. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, it's because Alabama's had a little bit of struggles this year, so I could see that being a way closer game than people uh, expect. I still have a feeling Alabama would probably win that game, but I could see going down to a touchdown or even just like a score or two of any magnitude, maybe even a field goal or something, honestly. And then also, too, Ole Miss barely edged out Tulsa this week, winning 35-27. to which is disappointing for the Rebels, but Tulsa came around and performed pretty well. Ole Miss's quarterback, Jackson Dart, struggled quite a bit, only having 54.2% completion percentage, having 154 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, but still very disappointing passing game, to say the least. But Ole Miss picked it up big time with their leading rusher, Quishon Judkins, having 27 attempts, leading to 140 yards, two touchdowns. And we're talking about 429 yards for the season, five touchdowns, and just playing well. And that duo of him and Zach Evans is going to be a deadly one here on out for Ole Miss, but not the kind of win that you want from Ole Miss. One of more convincing win against an opponent that I'm sure Ole Miss didn't really have high expectations for to begin with. And just came out there and, you know, barely, barely beat a Tulsa team that they really should have. And Ole Miss is really going to have to bounce back next week when they have to play against number seven, Kentucky. And I'm really interested in that game, to say the least. Ole Miss versus Kentucky is going to be a huge game and I think is going to be the landmark game of the season so far to really tell us how this SEC is going to turn out. Because Kentucky is looking pretty good this year under Will Levis. Kentucky got the win this week, not convincing over Northern Illinois, which, you know, Ole Miss, Kentucky, barely beating lower FBS schools. It's something they share in common, and they're coming in this next week, and they're going to play against each other. Uh, How do you think Ole Miss is going to fare against Kentucky coming up here next week? I could see the game being pretty good. I actually think uh, Kentucky is going to be – I think it's gonna be pretty impressive. I've been uh I've been liking how they've been doing defense and offense. I think Will Levis is doing pretty good. So um, I don't know. I I, I could see uh, Will Levis doing uh, really good that game. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and take uh, take a hot take right here. Maybe not a hot take because I'm pretty confident in this going through. But I think Ole Miss is gonna beat Kentucky. But my biggest hot take with this is gonna to have to be that I just think Lane Kiffin's a better head coach than Mark Stoops. Call me crazy. I know Mark Stoops is he's proven more at Kentucky and he's turned a historically bad program into a powerhouse as of late. But Lane Kiffin just knows the rules better than anyone else. We saw it last year when he played against Tennessee with the faking of injuries and everything. And I've heard quotes of Lane Kiffin before, I think maybe back when he was at Tennessee, he said that he read the rule book cover to cover which shows by his coaching ability and I find Lane Kiffin finding some kind of way to pull off the win against Kentucky and if Will Levis doesn't have a great game then Kentucky's going to be in trouble now I know they do have a good running back but it's still going to be up in the air if Kentucky can beat Ole Miss considering all the tricks of the trade that Lane Kiffin's learned over the years but I will say that it will be hard for Ole Miss to win the game if Jackson Dart can't perform better Last week, you know, underperforming like we just mentioned, that's going to be unacceptable against a good Kentucky team that has a pretty good defense overall. But I think Ole Miss's rushing attack is what separates them from Kentucky. And having a two-headed monster in Evans and Judkins is going to go a long way in in Ole Miss 
getting the upset over the Wildcats. But I'm going to go ahead and say it. I don't know if I'm confident enough to give a score yet, but I'm taking the Ole Miss Rebels over Kentucky. Mark it down. Could be wrong, but I'm fairly confident in this Lane Kiffin-led team. And I'm excited to see how it goes next week because outside of NC State and Clemson, I think Ole Miss and Kentucky has the highest stakes for the season. And if Kentucky wins this game, then we're we're talking about a Kentucky team that looks pretty competitive and is probably going to give Tennessee trouble later on in the season and who knows, maybe even Georgia, depending on how good they are because Georgia also seemed like they had some human to them, which is a first for this year because Georgia struggled a little bit about Kent State. You know, last week we were talking about Nick Saban always talking about the game that he had between Kent State before where Alabama underperformed. Well, I wonder if Kirby Smart is going to take a page out of his old former employer Nick Saban's book and use this close game to be a motivator for the Bulldogs moving forward. Because Georgia beat Kent State 39-22, to but this score looks a lot different than it, than it really should have. Kent State was more in this game than the final score has to show. And, you know, if if it wasn't for Georgia pulling it out more towards the end, then who knows how this game would have went because at one point, Georgia was only winning 32-22. to So they only had a 10-point lead, and this was in the fourth quarter. So Georgia ended up scoring scoring a touchdown later on in the game to make the score look a little bit worse than it actually was. But Kent State was punching Georgia in the mouth all game long. And it's got to be worrisome for these Bulldog fans just not really taking Kent State seriously and really lucky to come out of this game. But a good takeaway from Georgia is how well Brock Bowers played because if Brock Bowers wasn't in this game, then Georgia ain't winning this ball game. You know, Brock Bowers is a freshman tight end last year that took the college football world by storm. And, you know, he only had five receptions this game for 60 yards, not a touchdown. But, however, the reason why I say he was a catalyst in winning this game for them is, even as a tight end, he had two rushing touchdowns on only two attempts, including one that he had that was a 75-yard run. 75-yard run by a tight end. Have you ever heard anything like that in your entire life? That is absolutely mind-boggling. But, yeah, Brock Bowers, I mean, even though Georgia underperformed this game, and it's a little concerning they took their foot off the gas and didn't take Kent State seriously, regardless of that, Brock Bowers is up there in Heisman contention, I would have to say, for the season. You know, so far, it's hard to tell because we're only a couple weeks in, but if you're asking me three people that I have my eyes on in terms of the Heisman Trophy race, we're talking about Brock Bowers, Hendon Hooker, and in Kansas' quarterback, Jalen Daniels who has been performing lights out too. So Georgia barely got it overall on Kent State, but a win's a win nonetheless, and Georgia's going to try to continue to move on the streak. And even after struggling with Kent State, Georgia still remains as the number one team in college football. But um, speaking of Jalen Daniels and Kansas, Kansas now moves to 4-0 and for the first time in a long time. I think since around 2000. I would I think around 2007 something or like that but Kansas moves a 4 and 0 and they win in the battle of the college basketball blue buds as they beat Duke 35 to 21. So th- this begs the question now. Kansas has been doing really phenomenal this season, really outperforming everyone's expectations and they're 4 and 0 now. Should Kansas be ranked? 
You know what? Maybe Kansas should be ranked. I have been liking uh, their offensive play, and they are doing pretty good, and they are a really impressive team. So, I don't know. And especially with a lot of the teams that are ranked, uh, been underperforming, especially like Florida when they first started, you know, maybe start giving other teams more of a chance that are doing really good, not just the big-name schools that you always hear about. And maybe I'm getting ahead of myself because it's still the beginning of the season, but Kansas, this doesn't look like a fluke team either. This doesn't look like a ha-ha, jokingly, like we're a 4-0 team. I think Kansas actually looks like a legit team, which is baffling for me to say, to even ponder the idea of Kansas being 4-0 and and being borderline top 25 is something that I have not experienced in my time watching college football. But they currently are sitting number 26 in the AP poll, and they have received 125 votes. So, barring something crazy going on next week, I'm assuming that Kansas is going to be a top 25 team. And I love the Jayhawks moving forward. They're hands down the team I'm most excited for this season. And they're a team that I want to follow moving forward. And I'm really excited to see what's going on between these Jayhawks. But, man, or another interesting game going on this past Saturday was Auburn narrowly escaping Missouri. Auburn only wins 17-14 to over Missouri, which is quite concerning for the Tigers, to say the least, considering that they started off the game 14-0 and in the first quarter. So Auburn came out hot. They, were, they seemed like they had this game early going on, and then they just kept letting, they just kept letting Missouri come back, come back. And after the first quarter, it was just Missouri. For the rest of the game until, you know, they eventually had to go into overtime after Missouri kept answering against Auburn. And luckily, Auburn's able to get a field goal to win the game. But this is not a good look for Auburn. And I think Auburn is not looking pretty right now. They have a three and one record, but the three and three and one does not tell the story when it comes to these Auburn Tigers. And I think they got some concerns moving forward, especially with how they got the, their soul taken away from them against playing against Penn State. And then the turnaround and struggle of Missouri, who, in my opinion, is the worst team in the SEC this season, is not a good look for Brian Harson. And I guess we're going to see how it ends up going as the season moves on. But this is just not a good look from Auburn. And Auburn fans are going to be pretty upset with their head coach here soon, unless he unless he can redeem himself by being competitive against Alabama or other teams that he should be. But definitely cause of concern after this game. But credit to Missouri for fighting hard at the end. Missouri's definitely looking like a better team than they were last season. And already two wins on the year. Great for Missouri and great for them moving forward, to be honest. And just a couple other SEC games to just glance over real quick. Mississippi State beat Bowling Green State 45-14. to And... Something interesting from this game, Will Rogers continues to be lights out from the quarterback position, throwing for 406 yards and throwing a whopping six touchdowns. A whopping six touchdowns. We're talking about road to glory numbers, guys. We're talking about some NCAA 14 road to glory numbers out here. And continuing to thrive in that air-rated system from head coach Mike Leach. Mississippi State looking pretty good there. And Mississippi State is really going to want to continue their success heading into next week when they have to go play against Texas A&M, which is going to be a big game. And here, here we go again with another game that I could oddly see being an upset. 
I could see Texas A&M overlooking Mississippi State because they've already done it at the beginning earlier in the season. They slept on Appalachian State, and what ended up happening in that game? I think Mississippi State's got a good chance to upset Texas A&M. If Texas A&M's defensive backs can stay strong in this game, I think that's their biggest chance of winning because their quarterbacks have been struggling as of late, so points is not going to be a strong suit for Texas A&M. They're not going to be able to get it done as well as they would hope to offensively, so their defense is going to have to step up big time to stop a Mississippi State offense that is pretty potent where it seems like Will Rogers is routinely throwing for almost 400 yards every single game. And he, Will Rogers, I mean, I know it's the system he's playing in, but he's still going crazy this year. I mean, he's second in the NCAA right now with 1,386 passing yards. Also to go along with 16 touchdowns. The man's already got 16 touchdowns. Three interceptions, but 16 touchdowns. That's a good ratio if you're asking me. So Will Rogers is hands down going to be the biggest player, I'd have to say, in this game. And what do you think about a potential upset with Mississippi State coming up out on top against Texas A&M? I mean, I think that'd be a pretty interesting upset, but I still think that Texas A&M would do, uh, would still win. But if they, if Mississippi State did win, I would be pretty impressed, and I think that would be an upset. I feel like me and most people would think uh, Texas A&M would probably win that game. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just really liking Mississippi State, and they're just one of those teams that never get talked about, and I think that plays to their advantage coming to play against Texas A&M. So I'm just going to say it now. I'm picking Mississippi State over Texas A&M, and I'm not 100% confident on this game. I'm honestly more confident in Ole Miss beating Kentucky, but I think that there is a pretty solid chance that we see the Bulldogs come in and beat the Aggies straight up. And I guess we'll see how that ends up going, but I'm fairly confident in the Bulldogs. And, you know, Kentucky this week, too, we mentioned earlier, barely getting over Northern Illinois. But um, here's the game that I, my favorite game of the week. MTSU, my alma mater, well, I'm a current student, MTSU student, my MTSU Blue Raiders win 45-31 to 31 over Miami. Fun fact, this is MTSU's first ever AP Top 25 win. And in return for getting their first ever AP win, they also received $1.5 million from the University of Miami to come into their home stadium and to beat them. And to not only beat them, but to beat them soundly. MTSU was all over Miami all day long, and it seemed like there was nothing Miami could do to get into this game. And Tyler Van Dyke struggled tremendously in this game. And, you know, we talked about it in a previous episodes. Tyler Van Dyke came into the season being a dark horse Heisman contender and just has absolutely ruined it with his past couple of games to this point where there's no way that he's ever even going to get consideration unless he plays like Joe Burrow did a couple of years ago. But even at that point... I th- I think you can count him out at this point, and he 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 barely he threw fifty percent completion percentage ha- had a hundred and thirty eight yards two touchdowns one interception so of course backup Jake Garcia took over from Miami and he did better than Tyler Van Dyke surprisingly but just not enough to get the win or to stay into the game Ed but here's a fun fact I found out while researching this game. Miami's backup quarterback, Garcia, who took over for Van Dyke, 
believe it or not, his parents actually legally separated in high school so he could attend a high school in Georgia. Because apparently Georgia's got some law where you have to live with your parents or something for a high school and everything like that. So his parents had to legally separate, not because they didn't like each other, but for their son to thrive. And I guess it worked out well, and hopefully they were in attendance for the game against Miami and MTSU, although they were probably not happy with the outcome. Probably be good to see their son play and get a chance, especially when Tyler Van Dyke was supposed to be the solidified starter for the season. But MTSU comes in, punches Miami right in the mouth, and MTSU's quarterback had an absolute field day. Absolute field day. Thrown for 408 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, but also had a rushing touchdown against a Miami-led defense, a Miami defense that's recently produced Gregory Rousseau in the NFL and a couple of good, other good defensive linemen, just got absolutely shredded by the Blue Raiders. Absolutely shredded. And then Chisholm, too, for the Raiders, also had like something like 150 yards receiving or something like that. I mean, MTSU's offense, just absolutely insane. And not just to mention their offense, their defense is going great, too, as Zaylen Wood ended up getting Walter Camp National Defensive Player of the Week. So now we got a player from the University of Tennessee winning Offensive Player of the Week. Then we have a player from Middle Tennessee State University winning Defensive Player of the Week. So great day for the state of Tennessee and a great day for Tennessee beating Florida teams as well. But, yeah, MTSU going crazy. But Zaylen Wood had two tackles for this game, which accounted for two sacks, one interception, one fumble recovery, and a touchdown off of a pick. So Wood played lights out, and MTSU's got to be feeling great for this. And, you know, great for the school. I hope I can get a little bit of this $1.5 million that's coming our way. Maybe maybe I can get some of my tuition paid off for it. MTSU wants to be a little bit nice here. But, yeah, great win for the Blue Raiders in what is, hands down, the best win of their program history. So I know Coach Stockstill's got to be happy with his Raiders, and I know that the school's happy itself as when MTSU ended up winning the game, as soon as they got on the flight back home and got off the bus, they had the school out there waiting for them, waiting for the bus to celebrate the game. So solid win for my MTSU Blue Raiders and thank you, Miami, for giving us some money. <laughs> it's going well, but uh, yeah, crazy, crazy to say the least. And something else interesting, too, is Kansas State knocked off Oklahoma. Kansas State looking really good this year, and Brent Venables got to be a little bit worried falling to Kansas State. Now, Kansas State's not a bad team whatsoever. As I just mentioned, they're pretty good, but If I was Brent Venables, I'd be pretty upset about this loss because this pretty much eliminates, I mean, it doesn't, but it does almost eliminate the Sooners from college football playoffs. Because if if we're assuming that this Texas versus Oklahoma game is going to be everything we think it's going to be, then Oklahoma is probably going to lose this game, especially considering if a healthy Quinn Ewers comes back, which is expected, then I don't see Oklahoma winning this game. And... This is a disappointing loss, to say the least. Do you think that Oklahoma's chances of reaching a college football playoffs are over with, or do you think they still got a shot? Yeah, I mean, I would say they are. They definitely still do have a shot, but I don't know. You'll have to see how other games go out. You have to see who wins and who loses these next few games. 
I think that'll really answer their question for you. But, yeah, it's not looking good for Oklahoma. Yeah, but credit to Kansas State, man. Adrian Martinez just had the game of his life going crazy. He had 234 yards passing, one touchdown. I know not super impressive from a passing standpoint, but listen to what he did on the ground. We're talking about 148 yards rushing, four touchdowns, doing great. And Kansas State was just unstoppable, just unstoppable. And then they had Deuce Vaughn, too, carrying the load for them. I mean, he had 100 yards rushing as well. Kansas State just all over Oklahoma. But Oklahoma fared well, too, at least from a statistical standpoint. I mean, USC transferred Dylan Gabriel. He had 61 yards rushing, but he also had 330 yards passing, four touchdowns. And the Tennessee transfer, too. See, all these players, man, mentioning, a lot of them from the transfer portal. I mean, Eric Gray from former Tennessee running back, he had 114 yards rushing for this game, too. So Oklahoma offensively was doing well, but that defense is really going to have to pick it up. And they're not doing the Big 12 favors (laughs) with the defense. You know, it's been a joke of the past couple seasons that the Big 12 don't play defense, and Oklahoma is proving that fact to be correct by just getting absolutely ran all over by Kansas State. But in their defense, Oklahoma ran all over Kansas State too. But, man, Kansas State 3-1 and now looking pretty good. Oklahoma, I I mean, this has got to hurt. This has got to hurt. This has got to sting a little bit, but – it's not going to be all sunshines and rainbows. I mean, Oklahoma should honestly be happy and impressed with how well they've been doing, considering that they lost so many players from the portal and they lost their head coach, who pretty much took all the players with them. And so, I mean, Oklahoma playing better than I would assume this year, especially Dylan Gabriel coming back and being phenomenal after seeing how. I mean, albeit I know he's struggling with more injuries, but seeing seeing McKenzie from UCF struggle when he was playing on Florida State. I mean, this is a crazy contrast with Dylan Gabriel just playing lights out this year and maybe putting himself in contention for Heisman Trophy, but Heisman Trophy is usually best player on the best team. So Oklahoma's going to have to win some more games and hope Dylan Gabriel can keep it up if he wants to become one of Oklahoma's long list of Heisman winning quarterbacks. But tough loss for Oklahoma, to say the least. But also something interesting, too, is uh, UCLA is 4-0. and UCLA is 4-0 and and quietly just doing great. So I wonder if Chip Kelly's out here fighting to keep his job because we haven't really talked about him much since he was Oregon's head coach a while back and hasn't done much for UCLA. He, you know, he had took time in the NFL for a little bit, underperformed at the Eagles, but UCLA is starting off 4-0 and now. Really great turnaround for Chip Kelly and UCLA. And UCLA is also going to have a big game next week as they take on number 15, Washington. So I guess we'll see if Chip Kelly's team can keep it up. And if they can beat number 15, Washington, then we're seeing flashbacks of the early 2010s back with those Oregon teams, man. It, it's interesting to see Chip Kelly turning around for them. And in, I mean, even though they're 4-0, they're still not ranked yet, but most certainly would be ranked if they pull out the upset against the Huskies coming up next week. So credit to Chip Kelly for finally getting things rolling at UCLA. And, man, what took you so long? Because I swear you've been the head coach there for like five or six years. Like, what's going on, man? But finally getting it down pat now, and credit to UCLA for just keep moving forward. And Michigan almost lost to Maryland. Shout-out to Tua Tungavaloa's brother, 
for balling out in the game and keeping Michigan on the edge of their seats. But Michigan ends up getting it all, getting the win ultimately. Tua's brother ended up playing decently well, having 207 yards. Well, I decently well in the sense of yards and a touch. And he threw two interceptions, not great. But I know Tua was happy for his brother on Twitter in the game. And, you know, J.J. McCarthy still ends up doing well for Michigan. 220 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. But Michigan barely gets the win here. But Maryland's a good team, too. They're 3-1 and one now for the season. So it's a Maryland team that should not be stepped slept on and I think Michigan doesn't have much to worry on going forward um they pre they played pretty well all around I mean they limited Maryland to less of 400 yards of total offense and Michigan's just going to continue to get better as years go on and we all know they're going to save their best game from Ohio State so close game surprising game but Michigan gets it done nonetheless and the most one of the most disappointing games in terms of performance wise it's going to be the final game that we talk about from this past Saturday is USC versus Oregon State. Now, I don't know what was going on with, I mean, Oregon State 3-1, and one, so playing better than they have in years past, but USC almost losing this game, and this is a far cry from the team that we've seen earlier in the year as Caleb Williams has played abysmal. Caleb Williams did not show up this game at all. He had 44% completion percentage, less than 200 yards passing and a touchdown. But, I mean, you look at his yearly statistics, and he's going crazy this year. So this is a big slump game for Caleb Williams. And if it wasn't for Travis Dye keeping them in the game, then Oklahoma would not have won this game at all. And uh, Lincoln Riley, I'm sure he's not happy with his team after this. I wonder what was going on with Caleb Williams at the game that made him struggle so much. What What are your thoughts on how Caleb Williams performed? And is it a concern for USC moving forward? Yeah, I think it's definitely a concern because uh... – Oregon State's quarterback Chance Nolan uh, did a little, well worse than Caleb Williams. He threw four interceptions, but because of how bad Caleb Williams did with uh, and having all those chances of all those turnovers, I really think uh, he was a thing that almost lost him the game. So I don't know if I was USC, I'd be a little concerned, especially for how highly they're ranked. They really can't be having these games where their quarterback is messing up so poorly. I mean, having a little bit less than 50% completion percentage, 180 yards and only a touchdown, at least he can throw interceptions, but I mean, come on, man, that is is really just terrible all around. I think USC should be a little concerned because Oregon State shouldn't have even been close in this game. I think USC's defense did good, but I don't know. Caleb Williams is going to have to step up. Yeah, I mean, USC's defense did do good, but jeez, man, what is wrong with Caleb Williams? I'm I'm just baffled with how much he underperformed that game. And USC should be counting their lucky stars that even won this game, considering that Nolan for Oregon State threw four interceptions. How in the world do you only win by three points? When you force four turnovers on the quarter, the opposing team's quarterback, USC's got some things they need to fix real quick because this is a troublesome game. And Oregon State really exposed USC in more than one way. And it, it's really telling for where this team's at. But, I mean, it is a first-year head coach, even though he's a proven head coach. And, you know, they had big transfers like, you know, Caleb Williams coming in. And they had a former Belinkinoff winner, last year's Belinkinoff winner, Jordan Addison, who... Caught the game-winning touchdown. I don't know. USC's got a lot to work on. 
lot to work on, and this is definitely a game that I would be concerned about, and hopefully they spend more time at practice trying to go through film and just figure out what went wrong because, I mean, it, it, it's alarming. It's alarming to see how close that Oregon State was in this game considering how poor they played offensively. It really just shows how USC's offense couldn't get the job done. And they're going to need to pick it up later on, especially when they play against UCLA. Because with UCLA being 4-0 and this year, Chip Kelly looking like he's the coach that he was back at Oregon in the early 2010s. We're talking about a competitive game, and you we all know how much UCLA and USC hate each other. I would definitely be circling that game on the calendar if I was a spectator of these two teams and really look forward to it because this could be one of the best USC-UCLA games that we've seen in a long time. And I think that USC's got a good chance of losing that game too, especially if they underperform offensively how they have been when – Earlier in the season, they've looked unstoppable. So, crazy, crazy game to say the least. And hopefully, the USC Trojans can pick it up better because that this is just an embarrassing performance to say the least. But we've already mentioned a couple of the games that we have focus on for next week, and a few other games I'd just like to mention that are going to be interesting to watch is Auburn versus LSU. Auburn and LSU, that is going to be a big game for Jaden Daniels to try to win against an Auburn team that I don't think is really that good this year. I got LSU winning over Auburn, and I think think it'll be a close game, probably a low-scoring game if I was a betting man. I'd say maybe the highest score would be like 21 points, maybe 24 tops, but I think LSU gets the win in a close game against Auburn, and I think Auburn fans are going to be a little bit concerned with their head coach following this game. And we've already talked about Texas A&M, Mississippi State. Don't forget I said it. I think Mississippi State's got it in this game. But, yeah, UCLA had playing against Washington. We mentioned that as well. It's going to be an interesting game to watch. And if UCLA can win this, we're going to see a ranked UCLA team. And like I said, maybe later on the season we could have a really fun USC-UCLA matchup. And then Oklahoma State, we'll see if Mike Gundy's got it in him as he takes on the number 16 Baylor Bears. Oklahoma State's ranked number nine this season, but Mike Gundy has been a head coach at Oklahoma State for probably about 20 years now, and it seems like they've always been a fringe team in the Big 12. They would always be like the the third best team in the Big 12, and they'd always do really well. Like he he'd get nine wins here and there, and like do well. Like lots of receivers that he pumped out into the draft, but Mike Gundy's ultimately never been able to get the job done at his old alma mater. Maybe they can take a leap this year and finally try to make it the college football playoffs when they've just been on the fringe so many times before. So big game for Oklahoma State coming up forward against Baylor, but I got Oklahoma State winning this one. And then Florida State versus Wake Forest coming up, too. Florida State's ranked 23rd and Wake Forest 22. It's going to be a big matchup for the Seminoles, who are really trying to turn things around and trying to remind people of the team they used to be back when Jameis Winston was there, when Charlie Ward was there. Florida State's not been doing good in the past, like, five or so years. And it's time for them to pick it up. And I like Florida State over Wake Forest in this game just because I think Florida State's going to want it more. I think Sam Hartman is, you know, the better quarterback of the two. And Sam Hartman's probably going to play pretty well this game. But I think Florida State, I think they've been wanting this, and I think they're going to want it a little bit more in Wake Forest. And I got Florida State being Wake Forest coming into Week 5. And then the most important game of the week, as we briefly mentioned, NC State versus Clemson. See, Clemson getting ahead of 
Wake Forest was great this past week. It was a hard-fought game to the end. Both teams gave it all, gave it their all, and Clemson ultimately got a win over what I thought to be the best ACC team besides them, but even ranked higher, NC State's coming up at number 10, and they're playing against Clemson, and this is a make-or-break game for Clemson. This game is more important than any other game on the schedule this week because this one has direct implications to the college football playoffs. Can Clemson beat NC State? You know, DJ Ungavalehi ended up picking it up quite well last week and finally starting to look like the quarterback that people thought that he was going to be when he stepped in for Trevor Lawrence. Can he keep this momentum going? Can Clemson beat NC State? Because if NC State beats Clemson, then Clemson's going to have a hard time making this college football playoffs, especially when they still have some more tough teams left on the schedule. I mean, I, I still like a one-loss team, Clem, one-loss Clemson team to go in, but I'm not going to pick a one-loss Clemson team over a one-loss Michigan team or a one-loss Ohio State team. It's just not going to happen. I don't trust Clemson enough. I don't think the voters would trust Clemson enough. So I think this is a must-win for the Tigers and. This is definitely going to be an interesting game to watch, and it's good to mention, too, that this is where college game day is going to be taking place, and we're going to see how good NC State really is. We're going to see how good that defense is and how good that quarterback is, and we're going to see how they fare against the Clemson Tigers come week five of the college football season. And then another interesting game to mention, Oregon State versus Utah. Utah, you know, they struggled. They lost their game against Florida and everything. I don't think Utah is as great as a team as they seem to be at the beginning of this year. But nonetheless, Utah's ranked 12th in the country, and they're playing Oregon State, who's also been playing really well this week. I think this is a toss-up game, but I think that uh, Utah gets the win ultimately in this one. And then we got Texas Tech versus Kansas State. Texas Tech being big this week, knocking off Texas, which we didn't really get into much, and we should have. But, yeah, Texas Tech beat Texas, so Texas is still struggling without the help of Quinn Ewers. And Texas, a disappointing loss for them, to say the least. But this Texas team is definitely heading in the right direction. But forget about the Longhorns for a second. Texas Tech's playing against Kansas State. I like this game a lot. I was surprised to see the Red Raiders go in and beat the Longhorns this past week, but I think it was a fluke lucky game, and I think that Texas Tech was pretty lucky that Quinn Ewers is hurt. So ultimately this game, I like Kansas State, especially with how well Adrian Martinez has been playing this season. I'm going to go ahead and give it to Kansas State and say that they're going to win this game. Now there's some more interesting games going on this week, but these are the games that I think are the most important. And I'm really interested to see what goes on this NC State game, the Alabama game, and the Ole Miss game. Really interesting to see moving forward. So with that being said, this has been another episode of the Encroachment Podcast. And thank you guys all for listening. I am your host, Jordan Binkley. I'm your host, Jonah Binkley. And we'll see you soon. Thank you.